1: and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing.
0: He came by my school for career day and said he was a big row ass man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com/generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com/generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be.
2: It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody like that. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people.
0: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is a bonus episode of the Ad Week podcast. Uh, we are recording this because we learned uh, very late in the week, maybe even over the weekend after recording our last episode. Uh, that Cliff Freeman had passed away. He passed away earlier this month, um, but uh, we're just kind of got around uh, that. Uh, it, it, this is such a tremendous loss. He was 80, uh, lived a very full, very um, memorable life, uh, really created some of the best advertising ever. Uh, we say, <laughs> it's something we say about a lot of people who've worked in the industry, but it is uh, it just doubtlessly true about Cliff Freeman, uh, both in his time at agencies and then especially breaking off and forming uh, Cliff Freeman and partners. Uh, just created some of the most memorable advertising of all time with me to talk about, uh, Cliff's legacy and the, what it was like to work with him is Lauren Ferreira, a, a creative director at Droga 5. Lauren, thanks so much for making time for me.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, and we're going to talk about the experience. Uh, I believe working for Cliff was your first job, right?
2: It was, it was back in 2008.
0: That is so wild. Uh, And we will definitely we're going to hit up Lord for a few stories here. But um, first is to give some context. You probably know Cliff Freeman best for uh, his work on Wendy's. uh, Where's the Beef? uh, Which he did for Dancer Fitzgerald Sample. Uh, And then, uh, you know, the the one that I don't think he gets enough credit for uh, is the sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. The Almond Joy and Mounds campaign. That thing ran forever. It ran it's forever. It's so true. <laughs> like, and it's so—it's a perfect example of like the ads were funny, um, you know. The, the it was good, but the insight was great, right? That it's basically the same candy bar, but one has almonds in it.
2: <laughs> it's so funny. These were like these were like catchphrases that we were tossing around in my family. Like these were things that my like we would joke about around the dinner table. It's just so funny to me because it was never thought of as an advertising slogan so much.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you think about the cultural permeation of of Where's the Beef, of course, famously and, you know, getting into the vice president debate and like, you know, just becoming such a standard. I I was right to to be transparent about my age here. I'm in my uh, mid 40s. I was right in the wheelhouse of watching these ads constantly, you know, 80s, 80s television, pre-cable that I would watch every everything I could find. And you could not miss uh, ads that Cliff Freeman wrote uh, for Little Caesars, of course, Pizza pizza. Cheeser, cheeser, Cheezer which uh, we'll get into this I'm sure but Lauren he voiced uh, Pizza Pizza he was the voice that said Pizza Pizza Cliff Freeman actually himself
2: he was I don't know I didn't know if people know that like that Pizza Pizza was it was something that he actually with the royalties I found out later that he actually bought Indiana Jones's original leather jacket with. (laughs) This is just so awesome
0: just with that one line item of
2: his (laughs) his voiceover
0: (laughs) Um, so, I, I've written a very lengthy obituary for Cliff Freeman on adweek.com that you can check out. I'm not going to uh, make people listen back through because he had a very uh, momentous career and it would take forever to talk through uh, all the work, all the clients uh, they did. The reason I was so excited to have Lauren on the show is because uh, you were there at this really, at the, the tail end of the life cycle of his agency. Uh, and I think. What fascinates me most about Cliff is that he inspired multiple generations of creatives, whether they knew it or not at the time, right? people. I've had so many people say, all the way up to Jerry Graff, say, I got into advertising because I was watching these ads. And you still see people today just kind of finding some of his older ads. Like, I I just went down the rabbit hole of his Phillips work uh, last night while working on this. There's so much out there. It's such a deep portfolio. Uh, But... It, you know, and it's trickling down to where he inspires people like Jerry Graf, who then ends up training this entire new generation uh, through Barnett Graf through TBWA, and just the the ripple effects of Cliff Freeman's uh, approach. Are So long longstanding. On the other hand, on the other side of that coin, he had kind of an infamous reputation for not really adapting with the times it was like a thing you kept hearing uh, back in those in the late 2000s. His uh, agency, uh, Cliff Freeman and Partners closed, I believe in 09. It was kind of an unceremonious uh, closing. So. First off, tell us about ending up there. Uh, were were you aware of the reputation of Cliff Freeman, of, of that this was the person behind all these famous ads? Uh, you were obviously very new to your career. So what did you know about Cliff Freeman going into that role?
2: I knew the work before I really knew the agency. It, it was something, as I said, you know, I grew up with hearing these catchphrases. I didn't really register that this was from an actual agency. And then when I got the job there, at first I was just thrilled that my first paycheck was for something I would pay to do. Um, and then working with Cliff and seeing how much he was part of the work was really incredible. And, and that was that was like one of these rare experiences where you actually get to present scripts in your first copywriter job to the guy whose name was on the door, so that that was that was really cool.
0: Yeah, there. I'm sure everyone here who's worked at agencies or has worked with agencies knows that's that's a good and bad thing, right? <laughs> like I worked I, w- I worked for a family owned agency for uh, eight years, and there's you know on the one hand it's great having access to the the founder and having them there physically and the the kind of the morale impact, but also uh, I think some people feel that that can stymie creativity or that can stymie adaptation i guess um did but for you it was your first job so you probably didn't really know much better right in the sense of it you hadn't had so many agency experiences that it was all that odd to run everything by the founder of the company
2: yeah i mean that's totally true and i think part of it was like naivete of like being so new to the job of being like oh yeah this is obviously what you do you present to the um to cliff freeman but i think um and he was kind of like weird but also like really funny like definitely the funniest guy in the room but um he you know I think the first time I met him he he offered me a bite of his sandwich and then just kind of like wandered into his office um but it was like not, really not cool.
0: half his sandwich like a bite
2: <laughs> like a bite like a bite like and there was already bites taken out of it um <laughs> uh, but and he was also really approachable too and I think that was really great like I remember um one of the first accounts I worked on was Baskin Robbins. And I was presenting him this comedy script that I thought was great. It was, you know, I thought all the jokes were solid, the concept I was, I was re- really excited about and I'm presenting it to him. And I can see that he's like really listening to every detail. Sometimes when you present to creative directors where they're kind of like looking off or they're distracted. No, he was like hanging on every word. And then I remember at the end he goes, so are they naked? And I'm like, no, clip. This is Baskin Robbins. It's a family brand. No one is naked in this spot. What do you? And he was. I was like a little bit confused. And he's like, then why do I care? And that that was such like a good lesson for me early on of like, you have to give people a reason to care. So, um, yeah, that that was that was great to have that as a first lesson in advertising.
0: <laughs> so you know, intern was he? intimidating once you, even once you got to know him, I know everyone's intimidating like that when you first start, but I mean, does that, did that go away and were you able to have a rapport with him or was he always, was it always really stressful to present lines to uh, to Cliff Freeman?
2: I think it, I think he became more intimidating as I, as I got to know him more. <laughs> <laughs> At first, you know, he's just like, it, it was almost it was almost shocking the way that he was so approachable. And then he became more intimidating in that, like, I never really knew how he would respond or if I was, if he was almost making it, our whole conversation into a joke. So, um, but I think also being young, you don't really, I probably should have been more intimidated from the beginning, to be honest.
0: Now, he was uh, famously, infamously hands-on and kind of uh, required this uh, pretty intense level of involvement. Tell us what that really looks like day-to-day, especially when when he's not in the office.
2: Yeah, so, so as you said, I mean, you know, kind of um, a little bit of failing to evolve with the era maybe could have been a criticism. And he had slightly Luddite tendencies. One example of this is that he's very much involved in the work. And I remember it was right before a big client presentation. I had just started and we needed to get Cliff the deck, but Cliff doesn't own a computer or at least this time he he didn't. So they, take, they ask the greenest person, the greenest creative in the agency, okay, you've got to print off the deck and then bind it and take it over. We're going to get you a car and you're going to bring it to Cliff's apartment. Um, and I remember, uh, going there and, and the doorman let me in. Um, and it was just kind of crazy. Cause this is like, I'm sure this happened back in the day. You hear like, you know, reels are being sent, um, you know, physically to agencies all the time back in the day, but this was 2008. I mean, people had iPhones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that he did not have a computer in 2008.
2: I, know. <laughs> I mean, it's a power move too. So yeah, <laughs> I, I get it.
0: The so tell us uh, give us the the brief uh, not to jump ahead too much but just so we have context here give us kind of the short version of where you went uh, agency wise after just so folks can have kind of an understanding of of the other shops you've worked at
2: yeah sure so I think um, so I actually I interned at Crispin and Porter and Bogaski, which was really amazing because at the time it was interactive agency of the year it was known for kind of like innovative thinking it's where i met neil Heyman, who eventually hired me at droga five um, and then to cliff freeman which was kind of this crash course in comedy writing which was completely different um, than crispin in a lot of ways but it was it was great for me um, to kind of evolve that skill set a little bit more and really focus on script writing and i think also with cliff you know be, besides just being a brilliant comedic mind he and his and his slightly, um, you know, Luddite uh, tendencies, he was actually like the type of guy who would push things forward. He in order even to make them viewer uncomfortable, but to make them care. And I think that's, that's what's really interesting about it is that he, he kind of similar to Crispin and now at Droga 5. Also, it, it is kind of like searching for the most audacious thing that you can do—the boldness of an idea that will get attention—it's—it's it's something that you can't look away from, and then you inherently care about. And I, I think that's been true of of um, some of the places I've worked in, and in, in different ways. But
0: yeah, it's interesting that people, I think, because of the timing, uh, some folks, and probably Adweek is part of that. Um, I, you know, I, I was writing for Adweek back then. I, I think we would contrast. Uh, Cliff Freeman and Partners with Crispin Porter, right? And so CPB was in this creative high point of doing interactive you know, things like subservient chicken and, a, and a, you know, very famous pieces. But they really took advertising in a completely different direction. They're not really script-based. There were some good spots, but it was more just the, the idea was just so crazy. And that's what got attention and got headlines. And there were a lot of grumbling at the time uh, around 2009 of, oh, well, Cliff Raymond's just hasn't adapted. Uh, and so you were at both shops. I, how do you feel, A, I mean, do you feel that it's valid to say that, that they, they didn't adapt with the times? Um, but then also what does that do for you to have both sides of that equation? And of course you went on to Droga 5, which I feel like is kind of a nice halfway point in the sense that, very very strong creative ideas, but at the same time an intense commitment to craft. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you dissect uh, David Droga in the way that we <laughs> we are already, but but you know you you still have a very uh, kind of intensely involved creative lead at the at the top of Droga Five, and who has always been an intense champion of craft. Uh, it feels like you got kind of the the full the full range of of education going up through those two.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I think at the surface level, you would say, oh, Crispin Porter and Cliff Freeman are very different. As you said, interactive agency of the year versus an agency that can't really evolve. But I think at the core and what I really gleaned from it was an idea that is so bold, it goes past the line of what is considered appropriate and doing what no one else would dare to do. Like the outpost work where it's shooting hamsters out of a cannon or a marching band being mauled by dogs. No one needs to be naked in these. Or the same thing with DiRoga, with Mark Echo, you know, doing the son of tagging Air Force One. These are all kind of similar in my world of, of pushing things forward to the place where it makes the viewer uncomfortable, but also makes them care.
0: Well, and they also around, it might have been 2001, uh, Cliff Freeman won a Grand Prix at Cannes for uh, their Fox Sports uh, regional Uh, spots. Uh, It was a campaign that I I wish I could play, but kind of the joke is that no one's speaking English. Uh, You know, it's these sporting clips from around the world. And there's a a Turkish clip of a guy diving into dirt and just landing on the dirt. And then everyone scores him. And it's just the and it's this low lo-fi kind of, um, you know, and that thing beat uh, Bear, like the John West Salmon uh, ad. I mean, one of the most iconic ads of all time. And so it was real upset, but also just to know that Cliff Freeman was still knocking out bangers uh, like Grand Prix winners in 2001. I think, I think it's easy to say, oh, one of the best copywriters, one of the best agencies of the 80s and early 90s. But the reality is that they were, they were still producing. Uh, and, and to your point, Outpost, people pick on the Outpost spot, but I think what they're doing is picking on the dot-com era. You know they're pick, they're picking on what it was, but it's the iconic .dot com spot. It's the one you think of, uh, maybe cat herders or some of these others in 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 terms of brands where you don't necessarily remember the brand, but you don't forget. Gerbils getting launched into into the word outpost, and they accomplished what the .dot coms wanted to do, which is get attention, even if the the sites themselves didn't really endure. Um, but the I, I guess. Looking at, now that you're a creative director, how do you feel that your time with Cliff Freeman? Uh, obviously, he's a character, uh, and you know, everyone I've talked to, I've pro- probably talked to a dozen creatives just in the last you know 24 hours about Cliff Freeman, and everyone has had stories, right? Everyone has had these wild stories about just how eccentric he was. But setting aside the eccentricities, what was it that you think most? Changed you or most shaped you as a creative director that you see coming out when you give guidance to uh, copywriters and art directors, especially, or when you're giving feedback on a script? How do you think your time with Cliff Freeman really shaped that?
2: I think the thing about Cliff, and actually it's it's true of David as well, you know, but let's stick to Cliff. Um, You know, they listen, they make sure that they hear the idea fully. So I think that's something that I try to do as a creative director of I mean, let me make sure that I'm fully understanding the ideas you're pitching it and how you see it and so I, I always appreciated that I always felt like you had the person's full attention and so often especially with screens and you know even on zoom where it's like if the camera's off you're probably multitasking or so I, I think giving someone your full intention is so important um, and then you know as evaluating work and, and how I try to give feedback is for me, it's just guiding that person's vision. I'm not trying to impose my ideas onto their work, but it's more of this is what I like. And I think it, this is what I think is working and what you're communicating is effective. And this is what I think is not clear. And so I think C- Cliff was always good at that too. And that, of just having like a simple, there's not really a rule. Like there's more of a value of like, is it clear? Is it effective? And for Cliff, is it funny? Is it, is it making me laugh? And if it's not like, and it was, it was simple. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I think sometimes, sometimes it's just about having a really simple, um, bold idea that makes you kind of, it doesn't feel like, it feels like you're working off a different playbook and it's completely, there's, it's something so original. And I think that's also true of, of Droga as well, of, you know, doing something that hasn't been done. So nothing feels formulaic
0: and I think something that is easy to take for granted with Cliff Freeman's work, and some of drogo Five's best work does this as well, is that it respects the viewer's time in the sense that you don't have to watch a two-and-a-half-minute anthem to get the idea. Like, I'm paid to watch two-and-a-half-minute anthems. It's my job, and I still hate it. Like, I hate sitting through a long ad where I'm just like, just, just tell me why.
2: I just get bored. I mean— yeah it's it's on it's also like if you've done the same sort of like tricksy camera work spot, you know you can do that a million times, but it's like I think what was really refreshing about Cliff is like everything felt really different and like and it grabbed you in a in a in a unique way so yeah I, I think of it if it smells, i mean if it smells like an ad <laughs> usually.
0: Well, usually we've
2: only scratched the surface. And
0: I I think that I think I think Jerry Graff mentioned when I talked to him about Cliff's impact on him, uh, just as someone who really idolized him is he said, you know, you never walk away confused about what you were supposed to get out of the ad. Right. Like Little Caesars gives you back then two pizzas. Right. Pizza, pizza. Uh, Wendy's has bigger beef than like you may not remember that the payoff of Where's the Beef? Is the size the exact size of the single patty, which is you know what it was? Uh, but you remember that they have more beef, the end, you know, you're good. The rest, you're just remembering like the detail, like, and and that is just uh, uh, that sounds easy that's not easy (laughs) like to make a joke. That's not just a joke for the sake of being funny, but a joke that leaves you with this like bullet to the brain, like simple. Oh, I get it. This is the thing I'm supposed to walk away from this battery last line, this, whatever, you know, it's, it's not easy.
2: It's so true. I mean, and and there's so many times where you look at a, you look at the strategy that's sometimes coming from a client and it's like, yes, we, we do this and we want to say this, but we also want to talk about all the other things we do and our values and how we're good for the planet and how and how we treat our workers well. And all of these things are important, but it, it's it's hard to get into to distill into a single. What is this an awareness campaign? Then tell us what you do. What are you offering me? Yeah. And and Cliff had an ability to do that so well. Well, it was almost surgical.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough, Lauren Ferreira, uh, creative director at Druga Five, for making time for us, uh, and thank you so much for sharing these stories. Uh, Cliff was just a wild personality, and I, I will say this too, because I I don't personally believe much in hero worship. I think this industry has has spent too many decades and kind of idolizing people at the top. Uh, but what I do think is fascinating is talking talking to you and so many other folks. Like, I I don't necessarily think people worshipped him. I think they just really appreciated what they could learn from him and the amount of intensity and, and focus he brought to the work. Um, but, you know, no one no one had this uh, deified perspective on him. And I think that's great. It seems like he kind of wore his humanity on his sleeve and, you know, the stories I would hear about him losing his temper and stuff, it's just, it's all understandable. It's not like, who is this weird cryptic alien? You know, it's, it's, it sounds like he was a pretty multifaceted, multifaceted and you know, just really kind of, uh, put everything out there guy. So it sounds like it was a wonderful experience for you to get to start your career with him.
2: I mean, I think that's so true. And like, even now, like being an empathetic leader, not having to be the loudest voice and the only voice in the room is something that I hope as an industry, we're moving more towards because it is, it is so vital, I think. And also it helps you know shepherd younger creatives forward and different voices forward so and that's something i, I really am passionate about so I, I completely agree i think that's a that's a great summary of cliff
0: oh thanks so much lauren our theme music is by home uh, this uh, bonus episode was uh, produced by me david greiner and edited by lane McGivney. Uh, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled podcast next week talk soon